I'm in lockstep with the Democrats. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey, listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, our special guest is Noah Ball, my five-month-old, who will no doubt be making an appearance here before long, but uh, other than that, just me and Nick. So, Nick, how you doing? Doing fantastic. I'm excited to start talking about taxes and UBI and everything, and then have a baby start crying as a great effect for that. <laughs> It'll, it should work out pretty well. Yeah, between that and Charlie the dog running around, this should be an entertaining podcast. Um so one of the things that we wanted to talk about on this is the is it Portland or, or the state? It's the state, the state. The state is talking about providing sort of a universal basic income, a thousand dollars a month to homeless individuals. And this made the news a little bit ago. I don't know how if it's progressing through the house or or whatever, but um, just kind of wanted to give our take on it. Thousand um, bucks a month. I mean, so many, so many questions. And I don't know, maybe Nick, you read it this more than I did, but. So the, the, the first one for me is how, like, kind of the obvious, but how do we define homelessness? I'm. Right. Is it self-reported or? Right. I'm outside of my home right now. I'm in your home, which incidentally is owned by somebody else. You're renting this home. Both of us could argue that we're homeless right now. Can I get a thousand dollars a month? Right. I, it, it, it's asinine. The, the funny thing to me that, uh, well, of the myriad funny things, this was proposed by Confam, a, a representative from not downtown Portland, but East Portland, uh, yeah. out towards, towards Troutdale Gresham area, where there are large concentrations of, of homeless camps. Anybody who, if you know the Portland area here, you're driving on Southeast Pal between, you know, Foster and 82nd. You're just driving, you're seeing tents after tents after tents. It's, right, it's, right ceaseless my wife and i actually had there was a house that we really liked near there but it was next to homeless camps and we took 30 seconds around and we're just like yeah this is absolutely not going to be for us i had coffee yesterday with a guy it was at a coffee shop right where foster crosses 205 and that place is a disaster i mean it's nice buildings but just like cars squealing people yelling at each other it, it is a and and yeah you just go right around the corner and there's homeless camps and all sorts of nonsense going on out there and that this bill was pitched by somebody who represents this area, ostensibly these individuals, who is now, I'm not sure if Representative Fan has never taken an economics class, but when you give people something, it's going to <laughs> attract other people or those same people are going to want more of it. And you're going to do nothing but increase the homeless population. Now, obviously, $1,000 a month is not nearly enough to get yourself back on your feet and be able to to live and survive in Portland. I, you're going to spend more than $1,000 in rent alone nine times out of 10. But like, 
of course everybody's going to start showing up for this. Of course, we you, you talk to anybody who works in you know, homelessness or you know, charity or St. Vincent de Paul or you know food kitchens or anything like that. Eight out of ten, nine out of ten people that you talk to are not even from Portland in the first place. They're right. they're moving here from Oklahoma and Florida and Idaho and anywhere they can because there's already so many benefits that we get here. And it's just like, why would you work to do something that A is going to put the taxpayers on the hook for a ton of money, B going to exacerbate the problem rather than solve the problem, and C do this while representing an area that's already suffering massively from this big problem. I was thinking about this a lot because on the surface, at least from a conservative perspective, this is a terrible idea. Like there, there is no, but I started thinking about this. Like if I'm a liberal and I think like a liberal, what is the, what could this possibly fix? And I think, and I think I figured it out. If you are a Democrat in Oregon, you think that this is a housing problem. You, you ignore the homeless, you know, or the, uh, the addiction, you ignore, ignore the mental health. You kind of like have some sort of mental block that you can't see these things as being problems. And you think this is purely about housing. And so there are, I guess they call them, um, invisible homeless or whatever. Basically people working minimum wage, living in their car, living on somebody else's couch. And I think that's what this is intended to help is those folks. Uh, the problem with that, several problems. One, there are already myriad resources for these people. Uh, the Metro bond that was passed a couple of years ago, a ton of that money is going to rent vouchers to these sorts of programs that help the people who are homeless, but they're not living in a tent. You know, they're living in a car, they're living with their friends. They're kind of between things and they just need a little helping hands so that they don't end up on the street. So I think that's what this is. This is aimed toward. And, but like I said, this isn't a, a there's, it's not really a problem. These people are generally only do this for a month or two and then they figure it out and get back on their feet. And there are many, many government programs already in place for these people. What there are no government programs for is the unsheltered homeless, the people we were talking about, people living in tents, the people addicted to fentanyl, the people who are service resistant, the people who moved here specifically because we are more friendly to homeless and living on the streets than wherever they came from. So, And to your point, I think it exacerbates the problem. It's going to attract people who want that lifestyle, who will move here, and then it'll be more money to the taxpayers. And also, I think you're going to see a rash of overdoses on the first of the month. Because that's what these people are doing with cash. They already have the, the food bank. They already have uh, the gospel mission. They have plenty of food, p- plenty of places to get food. They sleep in a tent. So, I mean, they have, they have a lot of times declined shelter. Um, so, they have food. They have clothing. They have shelter. What does that money go toward? It goes up their arm or in a crack pipe. I a hundred percent, and I, it, this is this is as good a time as any to mention. Always a good time to mention this, frankly, on our podcast. But that you and I are not, and neither is the Republican Party at large. We're not anti-homeless. We're not right. just trying to dunk on people who are going through serious addiction problems or stress or PTSD or addiction, any of a million kind of different things, all the myriad causes. This is not the third time we use the word myriad on this podcast. <laughs> Somebody's got to counter that. I hope this is like we're six minutes in or something like that. The ratio is going to be great. Um, but the, all of the various reasons why homelessness is caused and why individuals experience homelessness, we are we're the party that wants to solve it. We're not the party that wants to just throw money at it and pat ourselves on the back and think that we've done something better. And it's hard. It's, it's a difficult problem. 
And I've said this ever since I ran for Metro before that it's about relationships. It's about getting to know these people. It's not just throwing them into a program, a, a faceless government entity that gives them the stuff that they need. They need uh, dignity. They need friendship. They need mentorship. They need counseling and all of these things. You can't have that when you pay your social workers 13 bucks an hour and they only last six months before they go on to the next thing because Get they out. can't afford to to eat and also serve these people. And so you can't build a relationship in a couple of months and you, you're you not going to get social workers to go above and beyond if you're paying them peanuts. So this is another problem I have with Portland in particular, but the state of Oregon. We spend so much money on stupid stuff and the people who are actually doing things, the, the people who are actually making the city and the state run are underpaid. You know, the, the city of Portland, the workers just uh, striked recently or came close to striking uh, because the city wouldn't pay them a little bit more. I forget. I don't know exactly what their demands were. And one of their rationale was, you guys are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on the joint uh, homeless service program with Multnomah County. And yet you can't cough up a couple million dollars for payroll for the people who actually run things here. And incidentally, that during that same strike or dis- discussions and negotiations about a strike, one of the things that was discussed with, you know, sanitation workers, individuals going out collecting the garbage on a daily basis, they're dealing with these homeless individuals. And if you are not of sound mind, if you are drugged up, if you're high, a lot of times sanitation, a lot of times these guys are getting attacked. A lot of times he's getting, right. these folks are getting threatened. They're, they're just out there trying to do their job, which is a very, very, you know, we're, you know, big fans of micro dirty jobs on the, like, that's a super important job. Right. Making sure the garbage is collected. That's super important. That's a super valuable, crucial, critical part of society. And that's one of the things that these guys are saying is like, look, I'm a garbage man. I am not a mental health counselor. Right. I'm not a first responder. I'm not the person that needs to be uh, dealing with this and experiencing this, and yet I am. I'm de facto a frontline worker because the the problem has gotten so bad here in Oregon, here in Portland specifically, that there is that I'm just doing my job collecting garbage, and now I'm being accosted by mental health services. And I, on the one hand, the 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 way to fix this is is competent leadership, which mm. we are lacking severely at a at a county level, at a state level, at a city level, at every level that you look at. The problem is getting worse and worse. The people who are getting elected ostensibly to go through and fix this are the same people who got us in the problem in the first place. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. Nothing's getting better. But we had we have a we're spending money in the process. But yeah, we're sure spending money. We're sure we're sure taking your taxes and passing new bond issues. We have I almost said family friend. We have a friend of the podcast. Uh, we spoke with him last week or two weeks ago, and his line is, "You got to the the answer is growth. The answer is to you got to grow your way out of the problem. If you're the mm. state and you want more tax revenues, don't pass something like don't pass a bill where you're just going to start charging people a thousand dollar or to to give homeless people a thousand dollars. We don't need another bond issue. We need growth." Mm-hmm. We need businesses to come here. We need startups to succeed. We need folks to want to move their headquarters is here from we're recording this. Actually, this is the morning of St. Patrick's Day, but last Friday, Silicon Valley Bank failed and everybody's, you know, worried about all the finances. Just get people from Northern California to come up here. We, the Rose Quarter, this used to be a big. Well, I think that, that again, hub. from a liberal standpoint, and you have to, you have to kind of see these things from their eyes because. 80, 90% of people who live in the Portland metro area are liberal Democrats and they don't want growth. They want small town feel with amenities and services and like look at the urban growth boundary. They don't want people moving here. 
housing prices are unaffordable by design. And they'll, they'll talk about affordable housing, but they don't want to build more housing. They want to build more affordable housing. And by affordable, they mean government subsidized, government purchased. Uh, they want the state or some, you know, government entity to purchase a building or build a building inside the urban growth boundary. Like we could solve this, the, the housing crisis immediately if you relax a lot of the regulations that are preventing developers from developing. So, any, but we don't want to solve the problem that way. They want to solve it their way. And their way is more government, more taxes, and more government subsidies of lower income folks, which requires taking money from the top, redistributing it to the bottom. And uh, that only works for so long before people leave. Well, and I, we're, we're seeing it right now. That's people are moving from Multnomah County to Washington County and Clackamas County, moving to counties where the, the tax burden is less onerous, although obviously you're still living in the state of Oregon, which is already pretty high. You're also seeing, this used to be the joke, even when I moved here in the middle of 2015, people would talk about Vantucky, like, oh, Vancouver yeah. is this just, which also, don't dunk on Kentucky. I was just there a couple <laughs> months ago. It's beautiful. They have great whiskey. Well, I don't, why are, why is this the place that we're dunking on? Come on, guys. But, uh, Vancouver now, I'm sure anybody who's gone up there, there's this beautiful riverfront. There's all these places to grab incredible food, some really nice apartment complexes. There's really good beer. And oh, by the way, you give yourself a 10% raise when you move up there because the state of Washington yep. doesn't have any state income tax. And all of a sudden, all these folks are realizing, yeah, let's pass all these bond measures. Let's pass all these new taxes here in Multnomah County. And oh, by the way, I'm just going to go ahead and ship myself over to, you yep. know, eight miles north and go not even eight four miles north go move to vancouver and just kind of solve all my problems but see then the democrat solution to people leaving is you toll that bridge and when when they're <laughs> when they're going to rebuild it because the the i-5 bridge uh to washington is a hundred years old over a hundred years old uh it's not seismically sound if there's a if there's an earthquake it's going to fall into the river so uh it needs to get replaced and their solution is to take a three-lane bridge and replace it with a three-lane bridge that's supposed to last another hundred years. Oh, and we're going to toll it. So all these people driving to and from Vancouver have to pay extra. And so they think that is the solution. Rather than making Portland a more attractive place to live and work, they're going to tax everyone who tries to leave. Also, jokes on them because we're still we're past the COVID wave, but we're not past the work from home wave. Right. Everybody's still suing left and right. Such all these city workers trying to stay home and trying to say it's not equitable that you make us come to work to do our work. And it's just like, first of like, you, you want to talk about how equity is just like the trump card of yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. That's, I want to do X yeah, equity. I want to work from home. Yeah, exactly. That's now you're racist if you want me to come into the office. It's like, right. dude, like <laughs> there's there's actual racism. Let's save the word racism for when there's actual racism. Know, which waters, there is like it, it waters it is. down i mean we we use these extreme words for so many different things and yeah it waters it down um you know sexual assaults those sorts of sexism racism all these things we need we as a society we're getting a little off topic we as a society need to focus on fighting these things in their pure form and the more things we call racist that are not racist waters down the actual racists all of a sudden i, I want to we should get back on i want to say it was our th- third episode or fourth episode we had mm. a fantastic guest russ who yep. is a um he's a did we say where he is he works at uh at least he did at the time dmv he was working on the tolling program i was gonna say he's, he's yeah. an odot guy that's I, russ i'm sorry if we're not allowed to say that i'm pretty sure we said that at the i think we're pretty sure we said it on the podcast there we go but anyway that's you know cats out of the bag but i this actually would be something i'd be really curious about because if you're 
you know, if you're financing, if you're going to build a new bridge. Years ago. It was with, four years ago they were working on this. Exactly. If you're saying, yeah, we want to do this, we want to toll. All right, let me see the projections of your tolling revenue. How has that been impacted since COVID started? And pick a number of however many people are working from home these days because that your revenues are going to go down by 20 or 30 or 40% because people – Instead of having to drive from Vancouver down to downtown Portland or whatever, if nobody's doing that anymore, you're losing out on a big chunk of this revenue that you had planned in when you built a budget to build this new bridge that all of a sudden now isn't there. Well, the money from tolling is not going to build a bridge. Well, that, that yeah. money. So, I mean, this is, this is the dirty secret about tolling. Uh, they don't know where the money's going. This is, this is like you, you sit in these meetings that I do sit in. Um, and they say they don't have a plan for the money. It is literally just a method to take money from the people into the government. And, uh, it, they said it's probably the last meeting I was in, they said it's probably just going to get given to the, uh, the county. They're probably just going to pass it through to the county and they can use it for whatever they want. So it's not going to road repair. It's not going to building new roads, not real, not going to building new capacity. It's just a tax and it's a regressive tax on the people who can least afford it. And it's, and this, this is the other thing. Maybe I'm jaded, but I don't think it's about money at all. I think it's about getting people to hate cars. I think this is an anti-car measure. I think what they're trying to do is, as Washington County Chamber was having a, a public policy meeting and we were talking about tolling and they're talking about diversion. Like people are going to get off the freeways and go cutting through town. And this is like going to be a huge problem because now you're going to have people idling in, in neighborhoods instead of idling on the freeway. And I was like, this is a, I think this is a feature, not a bug. I think they want diversion because what you're going to do is those local jurisdictions are going to get pissed off with all the idling traffic and then they're going to do their own thing to stop the traffic to re- like regulate cars more and that's the goal regulate cars off the road because this is about climate it's not about revenue it's not about equity it's about this misguided notion that if you charge people enough money that they're going to stop driving when there are there's no realistic alternative to driving and i to that point you've seen we've seen here in in downtown portland lanes that have started to become bus only we have a friend who lives near hillsdale as you get off barber and you go up that hill towards hit towards hillsdale two lane road that has no other reason not to be is now a bus only lane right why is that i you see maybe one time every 15 or 20 that you go up there that there's a bus on that road and if you well, look inside the bus there's like four people in there exactly That's, i mean it's, it's completely it's like, empty yeah. so it's a it's a whole a whole other thing but i kind of getting back a little bit to the original point in the minds of and this is this is actually a fun thought exercise let's have this podcast where we think as if we were liberals Hmm. We can make the argument that that's an oxymoron. We'll leave that for the the, the jokes, the Twitter. You just comments, have to whatever. think. You have to think with your feelings. That's that's the key. Yeah, you, have you don't to feel you like don't you don't do thinking. any math. You don't do any math. Yeah, uh, know you, that you just think with your feelings. Like, how does this make me feel? But we've if we go through and we to whatever lessened amount of revenue we've got now that people are working from home, we we have some new source of income that we we're just going to have this slush fund. We'll figure out what to do with the funds later. This is another good example. This actually just came up in the past two weeks. I want to say the Portland Green Energy Fund is replete with cash and has no plans or no competent leadership, no nothing as to to figure out what they're going to do to stop climate change. But we we had to have a Portland Green Energy Fund. We had to be able to go through and do this now we've got this brand shiny new thing it's like buying a ferrari and you leave it in your garage for all but two sundays a year it's just like all right come on what are we doing but this is for for liberals this is the thing is this is we, we just have to have money then we can continue to throw money at the problem of homelessness 
obviously not going to to get it anywhere. It's going to make it worse rather than better if all you do is continue to just throw money at a problem. And I've I've seen this with a lot of of Democratic legislators, Democratic lawmakers. You're you're absolutely right. They think that if we collect enough money, the problem will fix itself. And no, you need competent management. I've seen this in... um, Housing, like the affordable housing, the government will sponsor these, these affordable housing units. They'll, they'll build them. They'll subsidize the rent and then they will have basically no oversight. They, they take the management and hire a company to manage the, the units and then they do like annual inspections. <laughs> Never mind that they are paying, you know, 50% of people's rent basically. And it's just, it's, absurd if you're going to spend money you need oversight and you know we've talked about this before i think you are more inclined to say i'm willing to pay more taxes if it means more services i still would prefer to spend my own money in my own way but you know if i'm going to spend taxes i want to see a return on that and just throwing money at problems is exactly the wrong thing to do but this is a democratic mindset collect money spend money problem solved and obviously we, you know, you and I and a whole ton of other people live here in Portland, live here in Oregon. And we are, we're all living proof that the problem has not been solved, has not been fixed, has not improved. And yet here we are continuing kind of down the same path. And it's just, it's a, it's a very unfortunate byproduct of electing the people that we elect. And now this is, this is actually something here's here. If you're me, this is a great place to spend money. Let's raise the salaries of legislators. This mm-hmm. was, this was a bill that got pitched. I think two years ago in the in the last long session and didn't obviously didn't go anywhere and then a couple of like karen power and a couple of like high profile democrats quit because they said we can't be we can't, can't afford, afford to be to, legislators right. anymore there's a bunch of republicans the bill post types friend of the pod by bill post said yeah this is great you should have to have a real job if you want to be a legislator too we, we want not career bureaucrats we want people you know real citizen well the the kicker with real jobs is you it takes can't time yeah, yeah you can't afford to have a real job and then take six months off every two years that's right. real jobs quote unquote, don't let you do that. That's not how real jobs work. If you want competent leadership, if you want good legislators, you got to pay them as such. And if you can go, you know, if you're making you need, you $400,000, you need to be able yeah. to live off your just your legislator salary. Yeah. If you're making $400,000 a year as a lawyer, $200,000 a year as a banker, you know, all these, you know, great salaries, $300,000 a year as a business owner, why are you going to take a pay cut to go make $36,000 a year as a legislator? Right. And then, Try to be the person who these are the people you're working for, you know, low level executives or whatever. If you're making 50 grand, yeah, sure, I'll take that pay cut and just go whatever that for you, it doesn't matter. If you're a real person who's accomplished, who's got a lot of stuff going on in your life and really has a good acumen for business and leadership and getting things done, you can't afford to go be a legislator. Yeah. Um, another just kind of aside to that is legislators actually also get a per diem while they're in session, which is hundred and something bucks a day, which is to pay for, you know, hotel rooms, meals, whatever. Uh, but there's a, a huge disparity here between who has to use that money because I mean, think about who, who your legislators are and where they live. You know, if you're Cliff Benz and you live in Ontario, you are, I know Cliff Benz is not a, a legislator in Salem anymore, but he was for a long time. Um, He's driving, and he's just the first name that came to mind, to be honest. It was for me, too, uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, Cliff, um, I can't say him anymore. He's not there. But but that's like a six-hour drive. So he has to... When he's in Salem, he has a hotel has room. He's, he's eating at at hotel or uh, at restaurants. He's spending that per diem. 
but you look at all of your metro people, all of your Democrats who live in Portland and Salem and Eugene, they're only an hour to 45 minutes to an hour away, max. Normal They live at home. Yeah. So they're just pocketing that 150 bucks a day, living at home, eating with their family. So it's a a little bit of a disparity there. Sad state of affairs. But yeah, I am, I'm in lockstep with the Democrats on this one. I'm very much a proponent of you get what you pay for. I'm going to clip that. (laughs) I'm in lockstep with the Democrats. (laughs) There you go. I'll put that on the t-shirt for myself. But yeah, it really is. And this is, they're shooting themselves. They don't realize it yet because they just want to give themselves a raise, but they're shooting themselves in the foot because if you actually do go through and start paying a legislator, you know, 60 or 80 or 100 grand a year now there's all of a sudden there's going to be all these really important really competent people who want to go do it there's going to be a lot more right. good primaries there's going to be a lot more good opportunities for good folks to, to run and to win races now all of a sudden we're going to have a much deeper bench and guess what it's not going to be on the democratic side the competent folks are all here on the republicans all you know business owners right. and finance people and whatever that already have these great careers it's a lot of times the democrats are handpicked they they are already the competent activists who end up getting picked by the the democratic powers and then they win their elections and then they yeah so um let's get back to the ubi thing um that we started on um the thing about ubi universal basic income is because i've thought about this for also and i would not be opposed to a some sort of a ubi as long as a it made sense the numbers made sense and b it's universal. I mean, that's that's what the U stands for in, in UBI. That's the kicker, yeah. Giving out $1,000 a month to self-identified, question mark, uh, <laughs> homeless people. Uh, yeah. with And I, I don't know. Maybe they have some sort of criteria in there. But if you're going to do UBI, it needs to go to everyone. Otherwise, it doesn't, it, it doesn't serve the purpose. I mean, the whole... And, and this is from a conservative standpoint... Um, I did the math on this one time and it absolutely does not make sense. Like if you're going to give a thousand dollars a month to everybody in the nation there, we would have to triple the national budget or quadruple it. It's, it just, it's so much money that it doesn't really make sense without raising taxes or finding out some sort of revenue stream. However, if it could, I would not be wholly opposed to it because of all of the other things that you, that it would replace. Um, I mean, think about like if you're giving everyone a thousand dollars a month, you don't need uh, the Oregon Trail card. You don't need SNAP benefits. You don't need WIC. You don't need all of these kind of like smaller entitlement programs because they're all covered under UBI, you know, and all of the administration that goes along with them goes away. I mean, if you just took Social Security that already has this mechanism for paying out money to people, included the rest of the country, you know, your, your administrative costs will go up, but maybe not substantially because it's it's the the framework's already there but how many how many programs could you cut and because they're, they're hey you know hey i'm having trouble affording my my food this month well what'd you do with your thousand bucks that we gave you you know <laughs> i think i think it promotes individual responsibility because you have cash you can do whatever you want i think you you uh there's a problem in portland of homeless people using their uh snap benefits to buy bottled water then dumping out the bottled water, returning the can- the bottles for for cash two dollars and forty cents for two dollars, yeah. and and then using that to to buy whatever they want. You give them a thousand bucks a month. There's no problem. You don't have people dumping out water bottles because it's just cash that they can use for whatever. 
the poor Aquafina people. They see their product being dumped down the drain. Oh, I'm sure they don't care. Heresy. <laughs> Heresy. Well, yeah, they're just like, as long as you pay for it, we're still getting our money either way. Whatever you do with the water is on you. I'd love to see a universal basic income. I'd love for everybody here in the state to get $1,000. I wouldn't write a check from the state for $1,000. I'd just cut people's taxes by $1,000. Net, net, it's the same thing. One is favored by Democrats. One is favored by Republicans. I think we all agree that it'd be a good idea. I think the issue is people who pay less than $1,000 a month in taxes. There's obviously, yeah, if you if you are not a wage earner, you're not paying into the the taxes in the first place at the at the federal or at the state level, and that's where you kind of run into the issue. But yeah, I mean, this is this is the same thing the Republicans have been saying for years. Yeah, people should have more choices what they want to go do with their money. And I, to 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 get on it for a, a second, the point that you made earlier, I'm. I know I just said I'm in lockstep with the Democrats. I'm, I'm not interested in raising people's taxes. My, my line was from an episode two years ago. If I believed that the government could spend my next marginal dollar better than I myself could, if I believed there was more sure. value in them having that dollar and building a better road and having one fewer homeless person and having one fewer drug addicted person, somebody who's, who's clean and off the streets. I would give them that dollar because that is yep. of more value to me than, you know, one sixth of a pint of a beer the next time I'm out with everybody and just, you know, just hanging out or whatever. What's, we're, we're very, very far from that now. And I feel like this. Yeah. We passed that a long time ago where. <laughs> yeah. I'm nowhere near that trusting of the, the government's competence or intentions or leadership capabilities. And I think this, the, the, the UBI is just, it's kind of another example of that. And I think you want to see, you just made a great case for it as a conservative where you say, yeah, it, it costs us money to go give a thousand dollars to everybody, but look at all the administration. Look at all the red tape we cut you, out. Look at you all know the what else we're done. You know what else we can cut out? The minimum wage. I mean, think about it. Like you, you now introduce uh, competition into these low wage jobs. Right now, the minimum wage is effectively a minimum and a maximum for Walmart and McDonald's and all of these places. Uh, and they know that there's no place else to go. If people, you know, if if your low wage worker who's making minimum wage wants to get a better job, wants to make more money, they need to change industries. They need to find that next step up of employment. They can't just they can't just go from McDonald's to Wendy's because it's it's exactly the same. Um, but if you have a UBI and you're making $12,000 a year without working, what does McDonald's have to pay you to get you there? You know, they, you, they're they not going to pay 50 cents an hour because nobody's going to go from $12,000 a year to $14,000 a year working full time. Like that, that marginal increase in, in dollar value, you're never going to like you. So not. you, you would have, you would now have market forces determining what McDonald's has to pay their employees. And, I think that your employees would end up having more money in the long run because of this. I think that the market would then drive wages up because now you have McDonald's competing with with Wendy's, who's competing with Walmart, who's competing with all these other companies, and they have they have to keep raising their rates to retain talent, and they have to pay a certain amount anyway to retain to retain their people because that you need to be able to convince people to give up eight hours a day, you know, 40 hours a week for whatever marginal benefit they're receiving from the company. Yeah. If you're just sitting at home, you know, playing Nintendo, like Nintendo is great. You're gonna have to pay me, you know, more than a couple cents to, to get me out the door. This is, I, as it relates to, we're, we're just done a great job today about starting with thousand dollars towards homeless people and just venturing off into a ton of different topics we're still into thousand we circle back to we'll we'll find our way back there like a a blind person in a forest or something like that but we are um we we go through with minimum wage and i 
this to me was always like the world's greatest example of price fixing. If you yeah. have, if you're a car dealership and you get together with other car dealerships in your area and you say, we're going to, you know, have sedans instead of $18,000, we're all going to charge $40,000 for these. There's going to be nothing you can do for getting now, you know, CarMax and the internet and all, you know, right. whatever. Right. Then you as the consumer, if you're going to go buy a car, any dealership you go to, you're paying three times more than what you should. That's illegal. We recognize that that's illegal. That's called price fixing. That's a problem. Yeah. This is exactly what the minimum wage is. Walmart and Home Depot and Wendy's and McDonald's, they all know that they don't have to pay anything more than $7.25 or $10.20, whatever the minimum wage is right now, because that's both a floor and a ceiling. You can go from yeah. Wendy's to McDonald's. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You're going to be making the same amount of money. You got rid of it entirely. Now, all of a sudden... Is it harder to flip a burger or haul a two by four well, at Home Depot? So you got to figure that out and the market's going to figure it out accordingly. And I, and I don't think that we can just eliminate the minimum wage as we currently are. Cause I think we saw it back in the robber baron days. What happened when you didn't have a minimum wage is that your employers very much took advantage of their employees and were paying peanuts and working them 60, 70, 80 hours a week in very hard, dangerous jobs. So without some sort of regulation. But the difference between just simply removing the minimum wage in a current, in our current system versus with the UBI, again, is that marginal benefit. Like if you're trying to feed your family and there is no UBI and no minimum wage, you're going to take whatever you can get. And if that is three bucks an hour and that is going to put food on your plate, that's what you're going to do. With the UBI, you're all, you're making $12,000 a year. <clears throat> You don't really, I mean, if you and your spouse and your kid, you know, you're all making $12,000 a year, you know, you're, you're not living large, but you're paying rents, you're buying basic food. And so now in order to convince you to go out and work, the company needs to provide a higher wage than that. They, they didn't have to back in the, on the robber baron days because they knew that people were struggling and their only option was work or starve. And now the options with, if there was a UBI, the options would be, Work and improve your lifestyle or don't work and exist. So th this is actually interesting because I feel like it's, it's rare that we'll have on this podcast something that you and I disagree about, which is uh, people like comment on our stuff and just uh, personal friends of ours. Are just yeah. like, you, just, you guys just say the exact same things to each other. It's just like just patting each other on the back for 45 minutes every week. And it's uh, to, an, uh, to a certain extent, that's true. That's why we started the podcast in the first yeah. place because we're yeah. both centrist Republicans. But I, I think that I would stipulate that. If you, if you did get rid of minimum wage altogether, we're not going back to the days of robber barons. We're not going back to people making 50 cents an hour or something like that because now there is the internet. There is Twitter. There is social media. There is mm. a vast people are replete with knowledge about everything that goes on everywhere. People have friends who work at other companies. People are on text threads all the time. Wait, you and I are on probably four or five different text chats and people yeah. just throw stuff out there. And it's just like, all right, man, this has nothing to do with me, but you know, to respond with a funny GIF or something like that and just call it done. But anymore. And this was, this was fantastic during COVID because you, you would go. Drive by a Burger King or drive by a McMinimins or something. They'd have big signs out front. $1,500 cash bonus if we can hire you as a line cook plus, you know, $15 an hour or whatever it is. Yeah. Because they had lost so many people. They had, you know, 
people were staying home. It was, you found out that if you moved back in with your parents, you didn't have to, you didn't need that job. You didn't need to work. You would right. much rather hang out and watch Twitch instead of just do, you know, go, go into a job <laughs> and nothing against Twitch, fun, fun service, everything. That's like what that. was on when Nick walked in. So it, it was what was on that. Yeah. That's <laughs> top of mind. I was like, I love sitting there, watch people play video games. Whatever. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. But if you are the, and the Burger Kings and the McMinimans and everybody, they could have solved that problem. If you could easily afford to pay your people instead of, you know, the $10 an hour, whatever they were making, pre-COVID, if you're paying them 15 or 20 or 25, you can do that without eating into your profits. You can absolutely have room for that. And then now you retain all those people because if I can make $25 at McMinimins or I have to make $10 at any other institution, I'm going to hold on to that job like it's a, a freaking crown jewel. Like I'm never going to let that go. I think nobody's going to leave those jobs. I think the issue is that your wages would fluctuate a lot more with the economy. I think right now we're in this, you know, hyper whatever economy rocket fueled economy because of of fed money you know macro uh, forces at work uh where unemployment is at like three percent and so you have companies fighting for those workers i think if we go back to a recession you know eight ten twelve percent unemployment you'll see those you, you definitely will not see hiring bonuses and i think you'll see you if there was no minimum wage you would see wages drop like a rock and I think that this, this is that rubber baron mentality of if, if, if I have 15 people applying for every single job opening, I'm not going to raise that. I'm, I'm going to lower that wage until I can get a competent person for the smallest value possible I, as a business owner. And I'm, I mean, not this, that's not how I run my business, but you know, if you are a corporation who has shareholders that want to maximize value that's how you maximize value this is true and i i do think that you are correct and that you know right now unemployment is very low it's very difficult to find new workers i they're still in the problem the the mcminimins and burger kings of trying to bring back the people that they had lost and that's why that's why you saw those bonuses in the first place. But you are correct. You're not going to be able to, to you can afford the next marginal person that you hire. You're going to be able to afford for a lot less if the economy goes in the tank and there's eight right. or 10% unemployment. And that, that ends said, up being, that ends I, up being the problem. I still think that that would, that wage that that person gets is going to be higher than what it is now. Because especially now post COVID, the people are just like, well, you know, look, worst case scenario, I'm just going to crash with a friend for a month or two and not work or go back home and crash at home for a month or two and not work and figure out till the next thing. You, you're going to have to pay people still. There's going to be the market will set its own minimum wage. You don't need the government to do that. And it's going to be higher than what it is now. By having the government in there, you're creating an artificially low floor. You're giving license to these companies to pay less than what they would need to, even in a higher unemployment environment. And this is also taking away from the fact that the vast, vast, vast majors, 95, 96% of minimum wage earners are not the primary breadwinners of the family. And they're, they're, the household survival is not depending on them having a job or making 1050 versus 1150 or something like that, which is that, that'll be a topic for a whole nother podcast right. that we'll get an economist on for. But I still, I still believe that the floor that the market would set is going to be higher than what the, the floor is that the government has set. I am not convinced that it would be higher than it currently is. I think, like, I, I don't have any data to back this up. I'm not sure if there's a unit. It's even possible to study, uh, what the, what pe what these minimum wage establishments would pay given the opportunity to pay more or less without a, without a set minimum wage. Um, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that it would be more. I think that, like you said, during COVID, it was more. We saw that it was more. But I think in a economic downturn, I think it's going to be significantly less. 
And you do have people who are, you know, primary breadwinners without real marketable skills who are relying on these jobs to feed their family. And you're right, 90% don't, but there's 10% who do. And I just, I just think that you're putting those people in a, in a really tough spot if you were to get rid of the minimum wage without replacing it with something. Well, economists, if you're listening, come on our podcast. One of us is wrong. James or I is wrong. <laughs> Tell us which one. We are desperate to know. Also, this, I, I mean, I, you're absolutely right. If, if the wages go lower, there's going to be some percentage of the population that's going to end up getting screwed a little bit. This, I think, also is locked up with the Democrats. This is a great place for government to come in and step in. This would be a great opportunity for jobs training program, finding skills of the future, micro dirty jobs type people. Let's mm. find more. Let's change around the high school curriculum. Let's make wood shop a thing again. Let's make auto shop a thing again. Let's instead of me finding three different ways to take the derivative of something in my Calc 2 class, let's have a, a finance class of basics of finance class. Let's have an Excel class where I learn how to make pivot tables. Let's have a QuickBooks class so that I can learn and go be, you know, a basic bookkeeper at an accounting firm or something like that. There are myriad four it's now four times we've used that word here on this podcast <laughs> myriad opportunities for for individuals to to go through and improve the skills that are needed for a changing world you, you don't want to yeah. you, you can't well, tell that to somebody who's 50 or 55 you're already you're good to go you, you have you're on your career trajectory but if you're 15 if you're 18 if you're 22 and there's an economic downturn let's take the time to build that person's skills up and pad that cv and make sure that that person can get a job where you don't have to worry about what the minimum wage is so i'm going through a program right now uh called leadership hillsboro through the uh, washington county chamber of commerce and one of the classes one of the one of the days and so it's once a month for a year you go to out to different organizations, um, government, business, whatever in, in the, in the community and the education day, um, we went to Hillsborough high school and toured a bunch of the classrooms and, and talked to the, the superintendent and all that. And it was fascinating that this is what's happening. They are moving like high schools are moving toward these sort of things. They had a bio lab where they're doing work with DNA. They had a robotics lab. They had, um, yeah, computer labs. Like there were, there were so many more. I mean, when I, when I was in high school, you sat in, there was an auto shop and a wood shop. And other than that, you sat in classrooms and learned stuff. This was, they had very, very many myriad. Should I, should I say? There it is. Yeah. Five <laughs> <laughs> myriad different, um, labs that had all these different equipment, all this different equipment and taught all these different skills. Uh, I'm not sure if they had like an Excel or a QuickBooks or, or those, those type of classes. I'm sure they, they probably did. They didn't show them to us because they're probably less interesting to look at than, you know, a robotics lab. But, uh, the, the education is going in that direction. And it, and it really kind of made me hopeful at that level that, that we're not just learning three ways to find the derivative. Although I do have a degree in math and, you know, I, I think <laughs> the value of high level math classes is teaching you how to, how to think, not so much that you'll ever going to find, need to find the derivative of something, but. Well, and I think Western education to, as a whole, the going through a liberal thinking. education, that, that's exactly right. right. And we, which is also, it's funny because we, oh, you know, you, you have to go, a high school degree is meaningless anymore. You have to go to college. You have to get a bachelor's degree. You have to be able to specialize in something so that you learn how to think. Where in high school, we're starting to get exposed to this stuff again. In college, yeah. you have all these lefty professors and the only way you get A's in these classes is to just regurgitate the talking points 
points that they give you. If you actually do engage in critical thinking in any of these classes, you're shot out of there like a cannon. And it's just like, this is the whole, and this is you and I both, your son is literally strapped to you. Mine is sitting at home, <laughs> but we both have a couple months old son. So for me, the top, the tit, the clock is now ticking. I'm hoping that the college bubble bursts before Calvin turns 18, before he goes to college. Cause I don't want to have to spend a hundred thousand dollars on a degree right. that's going to get him an entry level job, you know, starting making 30 K where he's going to have to build out his own skill set anywhere where he's going to have to go and figure out how to make a pivot table or how to do search engine optimization or whatever it is that he's going to have as his first job because you need all these skills you get on the job training anyway uh, this is my dream the impossible dream is that a high school diploma in this country goes back to a point where it actually means something you have accomplished you have learned you know how to think you are have these physical tangible skills and we've gone through we've gone so far away from that here in the past that it's just it's it's like it's meaningless at this point we're not there yet um and this is so as a as an employer who is currently hiring and talking to people many of whom just have a do just have a, a high school degree are there's, you paying minimum no, uh, wage at your job i am paying more than minimum wage there it is um, there we go anyway uh so I'm, I'm when i'm talking to these folks i will say having some college an associate's degree um it shows that you like we we have dumbed down the high school requirements the, the requirements to to graduate that some of these guys can barely read and I, I don't mean like not all of them. Some of them are, are fantastic people who just, you know, college wasn't for them. But there are some people who can't show up on time, who are just can't, don't, don't have these skills to hold a job. And it's, uh, you know, one of the things that I like to see on a resume, again, not really hiring these people a lot of times is, is some college because it shows that you can show up on time. You can do a thing sort of sort self-guided for a year or two or four. And you just don't get that in high school because you show up and they pass you through and you get a degree. So I think if, if you want a high school diploma to mean something, you need to raise the requirements to the point where you have to show up. You have to pass your classes. You have to get your homework done. You have to pass your exams. Because those are, those are the skills. Like I can, I can teach somebody anything. The skills that I need are show up on time, be reliable, you know, <laughs> don't get drunk and, and on the job, you know, those sorts of things. And those are not the things that are being taught in high school. So don't so, get drunk on the job. That's correct. news to me. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Please, if it, <laughs> I really <laughs> Please, shouldn't have Nick's, made that Nick's, joke. Yeah. Nick's employer if my employer is yeah. listening, that, that was a joke. That was a joke. I do not drink at work, but I mean, I'm, I very much agree with you on that. And uh, even so, I went to the University of Texas. It is a public Ivy flagship institution of the state, despite what somebody who went to Texas A&M would tell you. (laughs) Great, great, great school. 73% of the incoming class needed remedial studies work. 73% of the kids who got into University of Texas, this incredibly good school, were not competent in the things that the high school certified that they were competent in. And to your point, yeah. High school has been watered down to the point that it's meaningless that, yeah, now you do need to go spend $100,000 so on another degree. You need the degree. skills. You need those skills we're talking about. And also you need, again, show up on time, do self-guided work, be able to have an assignment, go do the assignment and bring it back complete without somebody holding your hand. And those 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 secondary skills, I think that that the high schools are, are working toward the first set where you have the skills, the, the classes are teaching you to do something. It's those secondary set of skills that... I think are, are lacking and need to be a, a higher focus 
if we want a high school diploma to mean something. Rational so, Republican runs for school board. This is the start of our ongoing new podcast series. Yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. Uh, Nick, any final comments you want to make before we wrap this one up? No, nah, we'll just say to something to get back to universal basic income. I think we both agree that it is a I really like to think that this was a trial balloon. It's obviously it's not going to go anywhere. We're not going to start paying homeless people a thousand dollars. It's great. For, it's great fodder for us to have yeah. sitting here and have a podcast and just talk about it and about a whole bunch of other things kind of in the surrounding vicinity. But it, it does. It, it uncovers the fact that there is a very real problem that is not being solved here in Portland. Yep. Got it. Well, that's it. Uh, listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.